I know you've already listened to a, a couple episodes, so you should kind of get the format, but it'll be pretty straightforward. Yeah, let's kick it. Oh, and I got a, I got a truck beeping now. <laughs> well, wait for that. Um, <laughs> Chris, you want to do the intro? Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Ben Holmes. People are now knowing you for Slinky. Slink it? Slinky? Slinkity. Slinkity. There we go. You said both names that it was going to be. So good job. Ben Holmes is the creator of the brand new project, Slinkit. No. Uh, Slinkity. 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 Well done. I'll be correcting people till the end of time. It is fine. No, this is what Chris's specialties, don't worry. <laughs> Chris's specialties are quite special because we just finished an episode on crypto. I listened to it and I was like, I sound like the dumbest person on earth. And I run a fintech platform, not crypto, just a fintech platform. I'm like, I sound like the dumbest person on earth. You also had someone tweet saying, hey, I'm really glad Chris is asking these questions. So, you know, sometimes someone needs to ask the dumb questions. Exactly. But when I listened to it, I felt like I was swallowing nails. It wasn't that bad. But, you know, there's questions for everyone. And I am an 11 noob. Slinkity is not something that I fully booted up yet, but I do definitely want to try. Let's get into it and start chatting about it. Well, let's also know who you are first. So let's get a little bit of your background. You're one of our younger guests. You said you're just 22, right? 22 but you already have this really cool project going on and you work for Peloton. I do. No one can see right now, but you're furiously biking as we speak, right? Yes. Uh, I just set my laptop right on top. We just bike our day away. Yep. We actually did have a setup like that in our office, a little wooden plank you could just ride the bike on. It was cool. I'm surprised that you need a laptop. I thought you would have one of these Peloton dev kits that's just uh, you know, a computer in the bike. Just got to keep pedaling to keep it on. Just keep battling. Keep battling. That's top secret. You've seen nothing. But yes, uh, which question to address? Who am I? I'm Ben. Work at Peloton. Been doing web dev for a little while now, mostly on the front end side. Do some full stack stuff as well. I also want to compliment the little jazz intro that probably played before this because I never hear podcasts that use jazz. So good on you for that. Yes. I pick up on it. I think it's really nice. Doing a lot of web dev, do some blogging. I like teaching web dev as much as I like writing the code itself. Jumping into open source seemed like a direction to go in that wouldn't be super terrible, but I assume as more people start using it and the issues roll in, I'll have a rude awakening there. But it's been fun so far, just doing a little pet project and seeing how it goes. You're around my age range, so within five years, I'm going to guess your first experience of web dev is probably WordPress. Is it? It is not. Oh, it's a close one. Most people our age, 15, they're like, I'm going to code. And then they find out about WordPress. And you're like, PHP is the coolest language ever. And then you grow out of it. Yeah. The stories I hear are like people who are in bands, like rock bands, and they need to make a website. And then they just go and build one. And that's their first web experience. I don't know why I've heard that for like Jay Langstor, for example. That's funny. You guys both just listened to both of my stories. I started with WordPress and I started making a band website. See, it's it's par for the course, I guess. What did I start with, though? I think I actually did an internship back in high school that got me into web development, which is very weird. They should not have let me into that code base at all. I was asking stupid questions day in and day out, for sure. Was it written in a framework? 
yeah, it was Angular 1 and Bower copying jQuery code from somewhere. Not really any packages to speak of. It was just wild westing my way through an image cropper that took me over a month to figure out and make accessible. And then slowly getting my feet wet, getting more comfortable with Angular 1, which I still think is a great little framework to pick up. I used it on some projects in college even. And then I walked through some stuff with React, started drowning in a lot of podcasts like Syntax FM really got me into the world of, well, at first I barely understood what they were talking about, but then understanding all these frameworks that actually exist and then what is the jam stack and then exploring Svelte, all sorts of things, and just kind of going, what is it, breadth first instead of depth first, and just getting a little taster of everything that's out there. And I think that's part of what drove me to like build something like Slinkity on top of Eleventy, where it's just like, I'm comfortable in any framework. I see similarities in how they all sort of function. So I'd like to make something that just sort of brings them all together and trace them as sort of like these expendable things that you can just say, I want to spin up React today, or I want to spin up Svelte over here. And it should just be as easy as like saying insert Svelte or insert React somewhere. I find that the more time you develop for, the more you see everything as the same. And I'm especially seeing this as late with React. Every framework has their benefits and their uses, but 90% of your code in React in any of these frameworks is all the same. You know, it's a hook with a JSX, with CSS. And then you can easily swap all them frameworks out for just different things. You want static rendering, then you want Gatsby, you want ISSG, then you want Next. And these things are really like, at this point, all the same, even though people don't want to say they're the same. But most of them are pretty close these days. And that's when I heard about this tool called Astro. It sounds mind-blowing that you don't need to use React with using React. And I believe it's exactly the same with Slinkit. E. Slinkit T. Yeah, you just lost your voice there. No, I, I got it. Sorry, yeah. Slinkit T. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. I actually will say it was going to be called Slinkit for a while, but Sveltkit came out, and I realized that's going to be a little odd how similar they are. And also, Eleventy ends in a Y. Slinkity needs to end in a Y. It's just that simple. And I also want to sell Slinkies as merch. That is the only motivation for the name of the project. So it had to sound as close to Slinky as possible. A little backstory there. But you're totally on the money about Astro and Slinkity being very spiritually similar. I was actually working on this project before I had explored Astro. I was sort of messing with it end of last year, I think. I was just trying to build something for my personal site where I was using Eleven D, and I just wanted to get some like JavaScript modules to work. I was actually trying to make it like a single page app with page transitions and all that sexy stuff. And then I sort of dove into ES modules. I realized Snowpack is really good at bundling stuff. It's much more user friendly than the old Webpack and Rollup standards. So I started messing with that. And then I heard what Astro was doing. I thought, oh, they stole the idea. Dang it. I mean, of course not stealing. It's just we both arrived at the same sort of conclusion. And I realized like there are really two ways to go about it. You can either scorched earth, build a brand new tool from the ground up, which is what Astro is doing, making their own templating language, letting you insert components wherever you want to. Or you could go the approach of trying to just glue as many existing tools together as possible, which is kind of what I'm doing, where I'm gluing together Eleventy and the Veet bundler in order to pull off something kind of similar, where you have all of your static templates that you're building, maybe using Liquid Syntax. If you've used Shopify, that's their language for doing things. It's also something that Eleventy supports. You could use Nunjux to build out your pages. You could use plain HTML. 
maybe you're using Markdown to write blog posts, any of those existing templates. And then you just want to insert components into those templates that you've already built. That's sort of the ethos for what Slinkity is trying to do. It's using a syntax called shortcodes, which is a very significant feature in 11D, I guess. WordPress people know shortcodes. You know shortcodes in WordPress? Okay, I've never used WordPress. But yeah, it's basically just saying insert code here. And when it's going to render out that template, it'll go say, okay, this short code says React. And I have a function over here called React. I'm just going to pass whatever parameters I need to to that React function. And then whatever HTML it spits out, I will slot into your page where you told me to slot it into. Just piggybacked off of that idea and said, let's throw components at your page using that same sort of approach. And then how do we hydrate it with JavaScript? How do we add bundlers? All that fancy stuff that we can get into. But that's the general approach, taking tools you're already using and adding some JavaScript spice onto it. Before we go too deep on Slinkity, okay, we should first talk about 11E. We should. We're a very React-heavy podcast, and 11 is not even React, is it, as the base? It's just HTML. Correct. No JavaScript. Yes. Well, it's Node as the base. That's how I would think of it as Node. Well, sure. Yeah. Have you heard of Jekyll before or used it? Yes. We had the creator on episode four. Did you? For the listeners, what is Jekyll? What came before 11D? Ooh, great question. How far back do we want to go? As simple as possible. <laughs> Visual basic back in the... <laughs> yes. So Jekyll was, I would say, one of the first Jamstacky tools. It's based on Ruby is how the engine works. But the crux of it is you have a folder and you want to take in maybe some liquid templates, some markdown, some sort of templating language that's not just basic HTML. And you want to point a tool at that folder and say, hey, I have these markdown files here, convert these into HTML that a browser can understand. So then Jekyll will come in and say, all right, I'm going to loop over all these files that you have in this folder, and I'm going to turn it into actual HTML pages that you can go visit in your browser as a route. So if I made like blog.markdown, and I write up some stuff in that blog.markdown, it'll spit out a slash blog page where I can actually visit it as a website. And of course, there's no JavaScript involved with that. It's just letting me use some slightly nicer templating syntax in order to build a basic HTML page. I know Jekyll also helps with styling your site with SAS, and it'll automatically process SAS stuff for you, which is a nice little convenience. But if you want to like add JavaScript to it, you don't have a lot of options. You have to set it up yourself. 11D is very similar to Jekyll's approach. The only difference is that they're using JavaScript instead of Ruby. So if you want to write your own plugins, want to write your own build setup, it's a lot more approachable if you're already like a front-end developer. You just write a little node script that says, here's how I process SAS, or here's how I process Stylus, for example. Here are the assets that I want to copy into my website. Maybe you have a folder of fonts that you want to paste in. And then the more significant part that makes it jam stacky is the way that it'll let you pull in data from somewhere. If you also want to write some data fetchers that say, go to this CMS, grab some data and slot it into my whatever template pages. If you have a liquid page that receives data from a CMS, you can just slot it in saying, my title goes here, my description goes here, and then it'll spit out a nice route in your browser on the other side. That's a basic rundown of what 11D does. Let's you fetch data lets you slide it into templates, and it'll spit out HTML and CSS on the other side. We just need the JavaScript piece to go that extra mile if you want to use component frameworks and stuff. When we say no JavaScript, we literally mean there's no hydration, there's no like loading. 
what comes out of 11D is just pure HTML, CSS, and that's it. No JavaScript, no pre-rendering or hydration because it's all done at compile time, right? It's all at compile time, yeah. Would you see it as a downgrade to something like Gatsby or Next that can do things like pre-rendering, they use JavaScript when 11D uses it all in the compiler stage. So Gatsby has a compiler stage when it puts it all down and also Next can do it on the fly, but it also has a compiler stage. So is something like 11D a sidestep to something like Gatsby and Next, or is it more as a distant cousin that still kind of does the same thing yeah he's the weird kid in the corner that's just like no we got to get back to the fundamentals and it is a very simple tool in that way i've actually phrased this as like the two camps of static site generation right now or the two camps of jamstack where like on the one side you have the very simple tools that are easy to pick up for beginners if you took an html css class in high school, college or something, you're pretty confident with like, okay, I just make a folder of markdown files. I run this little tool in my command line and I have a website. I didn't have to learn state management. I didn't have to learn what React is. I just have a website now. I can apply styles to it. I can do whatever I need to do. So it's a shallow learning curve and you have no JavaScript shipped. So if you're worried about client-side performance, getting perfect Lighthouse scores, it's going to work great for that if you have a very simple website that doesn't really need JavaScript. And then you have the other camp that does need some dynamic stuff. Gatsby lets you have a single page app. So if you need like global state management and stuff, it's got you covered. If you need an animated image carousel, a multi-step form, more dynamic interactions that like React can really help you with, Gatsby and Next are going to be great for that too. But the compromises there are... The build times might be longer because it's processing a bunch of JavaScript. The learning curve is steeper because now you got to learn React. You got to understand JavaScript better or Vue or Svelte if you're using those tools. And the Lighthouse scores and user performance might be worse than it needs to be. Sometimes you do need that JavaScript and you're getting like an 80 or 90 and it's great. I know Next.js has put in years and years of work into making it as efficient as possible and it really shows. It's amazing what they managed to pull off. But sometimes if a page doesn't need any JavaScript whatsoever and you're still shipping a big old hydration blob, it's a trade-off for your users that you maybe didn't need to make. The goal of Astro as well as Slinkity, I guess, is to treat sites along a spectrum between those two camps. I shouldn't have to choose 11D and then regret it later when I need JavaScript or choose next and feel guilty about my JavaScript. I should be able to say, all right, my site's like 80% static and I'm going to build markdown files for that 80%. And then 20%, I need React. Then you could have a hybrid approach. I'm just going to use basic tools here, but then for that 20%, I'm going to reach for React. Or maybe you're at the other end and you need mostly JavaScript, and then you have like a homepage and an about page that doesn't need JavaScript. Just finding some way to exist between those two camps and like choose on a route-by-route basis what tools you actually need for the job. I feel like some people, I can say hand on heart that I've done this myself, is that I've skipped the gun on things like 11D. There's probably been a lot of projects I've done that 11D would have been completely perfect. And I've just gone, just jam Next.js in there, (laughs) you know, jam Gatsby in there. Because they were what I'm used to and I never really thought about the other side. My biggest question with these more traditional ones is what about CMSs that are not marked down? Can you have Contentful or Graph CMS? Yes. So you can, but the caveat is you update that content on that CMS, you have to then re-click that build button. 
Yes. There's obviously incremental build options that all these offer. 11D's no exception. They have incremental builds as well with the cache setup. So you only rebuild the routes that actually changed. They also have a serverless setup now. I know there's this really modern wave that I don't want to get too much into, but like Netlify lets you have only build when the content changes on this one page. And it's like kind of running on a serverless function but it's also caching the build. So it's like this in-between state. If you have content that updates semi-regularly, you can say this one route is a serverless function now, and I want it to sort of re-render every day or every 10 user visits or something. There's flexibility there to not rebuild all the time if you have super dynamic stuff, but it is the compromise of a static approach. I know Next.js lets you just run a server, like server-side props, no static building whatsoever. And if that's your jam, then do it. Yeah, there, there's always going to be trade-offs there. I think one of the biggest reasons I got pulled into Next.js is more the reason, and it's such a simple thing. Somebody less technical can go on the CMS of the website, change a word, click publish, and Next.js is done. Like Next.js is just rebuilt in the background. The word's now changed. Good. And that's obviously their ISSG that they really don't talk much about. But there's obviously other things on the, I was going to say on the market, you know, because we were paying for this stuff. No, in the open source community that is really coming together. One of them is a plugin for Vite called Vite Plugin SSR. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes. But it gives that kind of Next.js system, I believe, to Vite to allow you to do them kind of rebuilds in the background. This is all out of my depth because I've never used Vite, but I've heard people talking about it. And doesn't Sim and Kitty use Vite? That is correct. I hate to be that guy, but it's Vite. I think it's Vite. I'll check my sources on that. We do use Vite. It does have that SSR setup, which we are looking into actually, because we have a two-step build process right now. At the first step, it'll statically render your page it'll detect, we support React only right now, but it could support Vue and Svelte very soon, where if you create a route on your site, like blog.jsx, and you want that to become blog.html on the other side, so it's actually a page you can visit as a route. First, it'll look at that JSX file and then apply any layouts to it that you may have, apply any CMS data or whatever other data you pull in, and then it'll spit out some raw HTML that can just be visited. You can actually toggle a setting to just stop at that step and say, I don't want to ship any JavaScript. I just want to ship whatever HTML this JSX file has in it. You could treat it as like a pure static site render if you want. But then you have step two if you want it, which is we also ship the original component alongside that HTML file. So then Vite is able to come in and say, oh, look, we have a component over here that I can slot into this HTML that you rendered. I'm going to hydrate it for you and then ship whatever JavaScript I need so that the browser can understand it and hydrate correctly. The SSR piece would help us with step one, which is instead of us trying to render the HTML or squeeze the HTML out of your components, we could have Vite do that for us. And that's what SSR would help us with, is say, Vite, go look at this component, tell me whatever node-friendly stuff you can get out of it, and then we'll use that to statically render your page. If you do that with a serverless function, which is something that Levendy offers as well, then you could do that pure SSR approach. I've literally created this dynamically rendering page that 
could be static, could ship JavaScript. I got a ton of flexibility. But in general, every time my CMS changes, I'll see that new change reflected on my page. And it'll just re-render every time using Vite SSR and then also shipping that JavaScript bundle. I said a lot of buzzwords there. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it all totally makes sense. One of my big questions is why Vite? What is Vite? Why is it different to Webpack? And why did you choose Vite? Great question. I was going to ask about this too. Before I kind of hop in real quick. Sure. I wanted to make sure Chris got a chance to ask all those kind of like level setting questions because this is one of those projects that I'm like already so deep in and so deep in all the tech because I personally have been learning both 11D and Vite kind of like separately in the background over the course of this year. And I've been very excited for Slinkity and I even hopped in and wrote the very first blog post about it, which you, you helped me out a lot with. You're on page one of Google. Good job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nailed it. In that journalism. Ooh. Yeah. And it's great because all these kind of newer pieces of tech that you're smashing together. I was on the semantics stream with Ben talking about Vite and he was like, is there an 11 plugin for Vite? And I'm like, ah, yeah, probably. But what you're doing is, is much deeper than just creating a plugin. You're actually creating a framework that integrates the two. And it's more akin to, you mentioned SvelteKit. SvelteKit has tried to integrate Snowpack and then ends up switching to Vite. And you actually went through a similar process here. So I think that'll be a good explanation of like what Vite is by talking a little bit about why you started with Snowpack, what limitations it have, and then why you switched to Vite. I hate to join that crowd of like, we're dropping Snowpack for Vite, uh-oh. But I know Astro is built on top of Snowpack and has done some very incredible work with it. I just need to talk to that community more to understand the setup that they've created because the reason I switched to Vite, I originally was going to put off publishing this package at all. I was going to publish it maybe not even by the time we're doing this podcast right now. I had no set schedule. But then I talked to the React podcast community about what I should do, when I should start shipping things and when it's ready to go. I think it was, <laughs> you said- I said ship it yesterday. I think it's what I said. You said ship it yesterday. And I said, okay, Tuesday is my deadline. I don't know what I'm going to ship. I don't know what features it will have, but something will be announced on Tuesday. I- decided to rewrite Slinkity for the fifth time, building up the bare bones features that I think would be useful to people. And that ended up just being like, get React working as a template, get it working as a shortcode. And that's pretty much it. Maybe figure out a way to like ship JavaScript or not, like an on-off switch. End up doing a little more than that. But in order to get it out the door, I had a one week sprint in order to do that. It's hitting some roadblocks with the snowpack setup. It's very technical. I'd like to work it out with them to sort of see what I could do. But switching to Vite, it was literally 10 minutes of just deleting snowpack server, replacing it with Vite server, and suddenly everything was working great, at least with the setup that I was running. So I said, all right, in order to get this out the door, I guess we got to switch to Vite. If we go back to snowpack, if there's a compelling reason to do it, then we will because it's a early alpha project. Anything's kind of up in the air. But things that I do like about Vite now that I've been using it more, first off, it's pretty mature. Their SSR setup, they also have a demo for statically rendering things like a static site generator. So there's a lot of legwork that's gone in there. I also know that it will be nicer to implement Vue because it's created by Evan Yu, creator of Vue. Vite was originally kind of the view bundler and they sort of expanded it to be the just everything bundler. So that should be exciting for anyone anxious to try view 
and Eleventy together. But the last thing is for production builds, they use a bundler called Rollup, which has been around for a long time. It's similar to Webpack and sort of the OG bundler tools that you might be used to. And that allows for like really good minification, squashing down variable names to those like single letter variable names that you barely understand if you look at your bundle. But you know it's efficient. That's kind of the nice thing about Vite. They sort of recognize that the modern bundling tool, which is ESBuild, if anyone has heard of that, it's a new JavaScript bundler that runs on Go. It's an early project right now, but it's very quick and it's very good at what it does. But it's missing some of those like JavaScript minification steps and being efficient about bundling your CSS. Some stuff that it'll just take a year or so for them to work out. Snowpack uses ESBuild all the way down the line. And Vite said, okay, we don't think ESBuild is 100% ready yet, so we're going to slap roll up on top for your production builds. It just has a little bit nicer out-of-the-box setup in order to give you the best production build possible and also the best sort of dev server experience. So that's the reason we ended up using Vite. Time Crunch has a few sort of future-proofing features. If there's a good reason to use Snowpack, we will, because of course Astro is very similar to our project, and they live on Snowpack. So be interested to know. But did I do enough to explain what Vite is in that, <laughs> by the way? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, so obviously Vite is created by the same people that create Vue and also Rollup, and basically Vite is Rollup, Plus ES build. Pretty much. Golden. And also a dev server. And also a dev server. Which is nice. Exactly. And we have to think, somehow Webpack's got to 5.0. Have we ever truly hit a roll-up 2? Of course they've versioned it past 2, but they've not been like, this is a brand new breaking version of everything for how many years? Yeah, it's interesting. I've always wondered how library maintainers sort of decide on versioning. Flip a coin. Because I'm going to have to deal with that myself. Like, what does 1.0 mean? If you didn't know, 11D isn't 1.0. They're not even 90% of the way there according to their roadmap at the moment. But I personally think it's like 2 or 3.0 at this point. I don't know. That was 11D's approach to things. I know that some hold off on 1.0 for a while. And then Snowpack is on version 3.1, I believe, even though it's more early days. What I think it truly is, is some developers get in their mind that 1.0 means I can post it on Hacker News and Product Hunt saying, here you go, world. And no one will get upset. Exactly. It's perfect. No, it's about you can tell your boss that you can use it. I think that's the real thing is that you can't tell your boss you're using a, a zero dot thing. It's true. You can't. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what do you mean, zero dot? We should really start good these days and start with minuses, you know? We're going to start minus 20 and make our way to zero. <laughs> That's how indices work, right? Zero is a starting line. Well, exactly. So there's obviously all these tools that are out there right now. And it kind of feels, you know, a bit like a spicy hydron collider for JavaScript. Everyone's just going, I've got tool on the left. Tool on the right, let's smash them together and see what happens. And that's what Slinkity is, right? Yes, you said the name confidently. I like that. It's literally just the glue between a bundler and 11D. It's not doing anything crazy fancy. The only reason that it's considered more of like a framework than a plugin is because we have a CLI tool that looks nice, where instead of running 11D serve, you run Slinkity serve. We mostly just did that because we're orchestrating two things at once. 11D is running in one process, 
and Veet is running in another. And Veet's going to look at whatever Eleventy puts out. It's kind of like a tag team where Eleventy statically renders everything for you. And then Veet picks up the JavaScript bundling that Eleventy left off for it to do. We just needed a nice little CLI that would run the two in parallel without it being a lot of setup on your part. It ended up working like that. But it's really just a plug-in with a nice little CLI on top. Got to throw Prisma on there and you'll be FSGM in no time. Pretty much. You can throw anything you want at it. How long is it going to be until you're persuading your bosses at Peloton to use Slinkity? Second to that, what's the main use case for Slinkity, you would say? If you was going to pitch the perfect use case to a developer, you know, a developer's looking for a framework to use to build a project, what would you say your go-to de facto project would be to build Slinkity? And I hope it's not Hello World or a to-do list. It could do that. Yeah, I think that's like the peak of Slinkity is just if you can get a to-do list working. First question... I don't know. I mean, it all depends on how their experience works out. I'm on the e-commerce division. It's a very honest answer. I like that. Yeah. When it hits 1.0, I'll try to schedule a little meeting, see what goes on. Because I do think Slinkity is a very flexible tool. As I mentioned, it sort of slides between the world of all JavaScript, all the things, and no JavaScript, anything. The only thing that it doesn't do very well, and I think this is more of a fundamental issue. It doesn't do like global state management, orchestrating stuff between a ton of pages, because every route is considered as this independent little entity. On my blog page, I'm using Markdown. Maybe I'm importing React. I'm doing something fancy with that, and I'm going to bundle it on its own. There's no way to say like, I'm going to throw a React context up in the air, and I want all of my pages to access it. There are definitely options. I know XState is very flexible to work in any framework you want. So something interesting there with state machines could be interesting to have that global state set up that isn't just like local storage or something. So that's where it kind of falls flat is if you're in that 100% JavaScript camp where you have everything dynamic, I need global state management, I need my React trees. For that, I would say Next.js and Gatsby are still best. But if you're in the state, first off, if you're learning web dev for the first time, I think Slinkity is finally a good answer to that question. I've gotten really frustrated when a friend asks, how do I build my personal portfolio even, or a promo site for this organization that we're building? I could tell them 11D, but if they see a cool React library that they want to use, then they're kind of out of luck. It would be a lot of work for them to set it up. So I've set them down the wrong path. I didn't give them enough tooling. I could also recommend Next.js, but then it would be really hard for them to get team members if people don't know React, and that would be its own can of worms. Are you familiar with the eyelids architecture? Yes. I was going to hold off on that because I didn't want to go too deep on it, but it is islands. Now that's, it is a good time to talk about that, yeah. For those unaware, islands is basically like every little set of JavaScript is its own island on the page. I guess an example could be like an e-commerce site where you have a preview of what the product is, maybe an animated image carousel, and you say, okay, I'm going to make a little island of React on this page, and I'm going to use React to make an animated image carousel through all of the stuff for this product. Off to the side, you have a form where people can configure that product and add it to cart. And for that, you might do a little island of just basic liquid or vanilla HTML in order to create a form that people can fill out. And then maybe the add to cart button itself has a little loading spinner and some dynamic stuff. And you make a little island of Svelte in that one area, just for that one button. And you plug that into your page. That's essentially islands, where you can use whatever tools you want on the same page. If you've ever heard of micro frontends, it also comes in a lot talking about that sort of architecture. It's a way to piecemeal your site together. 
And that's something that Slinkity helps you pull off. What was the original question? What is Slinkity good for? <laughs> what is Slinkity good for? For example, if I'm going to build a dashboard, Slinkity doesn't seem like the tool I should use, or is it? It all depends. Like if you just have a dashboard on one route. A very simple dashboard, maybe. Yeah. Well, if you have a dashboard on one route, you can say dashboard.jsx is the page. And now for this route, I can use whatever React libraries or React Madness I want to use, and it'll all work on the client. I would say it actually could work if you had, you want to do different things depending on the route. That's what it's really good at right now. What about this question? I feel like this is a really good question because we're all so deep in JavaScript. 2020 web dev, let's call it. 2020 web dev. Hashtag deep. Deep, you know? Raise their eyes at this point. But what about someone who's, they've been working at an agency for the last five years. They've left the agency and they've left behind them old tech stacks in PHP. They're going to build a website. It's going to be a website for a client and it's an e-commerce website. Would you say Slinkity would be a really good tool to help them get away from everything they've been using, but they still have the fundamental knowledge to then pick a tool make it go 95% of the way with minimum effort and really get the job done as easy as possible. I do think so. I definitely see it as being good for like an e-commerce environment where you just want to like have an independent route for every product on your site, for example. Elevendy has a lot of tools to like pluck off the slug as a query parameter, for example. So if you go to like slash product slash name of product, you can pluck off that name, pass it to your CMS and get whatever information about that product you need and then slap it into whatever template you want. If it's a purely static page that just describes the product, then maybe you just use Markdown and whip that up. It'll go ahead and build that. You can add a little hook that says every time my CMS updates, rebuild this one page. That will work great too. At that point, you're not even using Slinkity. You're just using Elevendy to build your e-commerce experience. But then if you say, I made my Markdown file, I described my product. Now I want a little animated image carousel just on this one part. I just want to insert React right here for all of my images. You could add a little short code that says React and then your image carousel component. And then you can slot in that CMS data or whatever you need to add that interactivity on that one place. And then from there, add to cart form, whatever you have set up in order to actually pass those requests somewhere. You'd probably need a server for that. But in the Jamstack world, it's pretty common to have like a server in your front end sort of decoupled. So one talks to the other. You could set that up yourself and then you could go from there. Yeah, my blog post that I do to demonstrate this is I just have a Markdown file and a JSX file and the Markdown file imports to JSX. And that was like, to me, how I could get the very, very simplest thing that that Slinky does. Obviously, that's not even close to everything it does. But I thought that was kind of cool because it makes it almost like an MDX kind of replacement in that sense. Like you could very easily just like get some React into your Markdown. And like that to me is, is really powerful, especially as someone who like loves Markdown, knows React really well. Just being able to combine those two in a very simple way with like nice conventions is like already really powerful to me. Yes. I do want to mention there's also the flexibility of like how you want to render that little island. If I want to render a big JavaScript bundle right when the page loads, I can say load it eagerly. It'll pop up on the page. It'll hydrate and it'll be interactive. I could also say lazily import that JavaScript. It'll have no JavaScript on the page whatsoever. But if I have to scroll down to that carousel, I can wait for you to scroll to it and then start downloading React and all of that interactivity. So I get that great Lighthouse score, that great time to interactive. And then when you actually scroll to the JavaScript stuff, 
I will go ahead and hydrate that for you. Or you could say never hydrate anything. I got a tweet recently about someone using it to scaffold their design system, where they have a whole design system in React, but they don't want to ship JavaScript with that design system. So they can just say, all right, import all of our design system components and then don't hydrate them. So I'm able to use this as like just a vanilla templating language. I have all my scope CSS with CSS modules and stuff. That all works. I just want to ship HTML and CSS at the end of the day, but use React to accomplish that job. You have that flexibility as well. My last question with the e-commerce example is, let's hook something like Shopify. Shopify is this hybrid thing now where you can build your own front end. You don't have to use that templating language. One of the big things, is a shopping cart. So when you said 110, I thought, okay, yeah, I can see you building the pages statically and all fine. But what happens when you click add to cart? That requires JavaScript. So is that going above 110? Is that where we're starting to take over? It is. Okay, because you might forget that when you're looking at a page, of course it can be 100% HTML, but as soon as you click that buy button or that add to cart button or that click a different size button or color, that's obviously interactivity. Also, you need to record that data and then send it somewhere, i.e. to a checkout cart. That's where you would say Slinkity is that, you know, the whole page, we're looking at our product page. The product page is rendered in HTML, but the buy button, that's in React. When you click buy, it's going to trigger a hook. The hook's then going to update the cart. Then when you click the cart icon, that's also in React because obviously you need to know what's in your cart. You're using that islands architecture to only bring interactivity to things that need it. Is that correct? That is correct. There we go. The one little wrinkle there, of course, you mentioned is like, who stores this? Like once that add to cart button hits that and we store it in a hook, where does the cart information go? And I guess in our example, it would be a React component sends a request to the server. Server keeps track of all the user's carts so that when you navigate to other pages on the site, we sort of make that server request again to remember what the cart is and then put that into our add to cart. That is the issue that I mentioned, which is we're not in single page app land anymore. You have to reset up everything when you go to a new route. That's not to say that is the future of Slinkity. The original demo video I did was actually a single page app example. This is something that we're going to move towards because with 11D, you can have layouts that all of your pages use, for example something Gatsby has, something Next has, wrap it in a nice layout, and then it'll slot in your page just under that layout. Because we know the layouts that are being stitched together, there's a pretty easy way to say, okay, all these pages share the same layout. So when I click on this route that goes to another page with that layout, I'm going to animate in the changes between those two pages, but I'll leave the layouts the same. A classic example would be like a layout has a navigation bar. When I click on one page that uses that same navigation bar, I want the nav bar to stay stationary on the page, but maybe I do like a PowerPoint style transition between the pages under that nav bar. That is totally possible because we know the layouts that these pages are using, so we can sort of diff them and figure it out. Another Another feature that that unlocks is you can leave the state in those layouts as well. So if you had like a cart icon that describes your cart, instead of having to do that server request every time you go to a new route, we could be smart enough to say, okay, all these routes have the same layout, only make the request once and then change the parts that change underneath that layout. Very early days on that sort of setup, but I could definitely see a future there where you have pseudo state management. I think the, the real answer here 
is that you should go all the way and teach React developers about cookies. Yep. And local storage. Also local storage, it's there. It's there, you know. How many React developers do you think have ever used local storage? Because I don't think I have inside React. Because obviously there's the hook mechanic, there's the provider mechanic that can store the information you need. So there's these very underlining JavaScript abilities, functions that technically, you know, could hold a state for things like a cart between the different pages. Because the big thing to think of, what we tend to run over with single page apps is that the page is not changing. It's changing like the DOM. The DOM is changing, not the actual page. So you have to imagine it with a single page app, you're rendering all this HTML, and then you go, okay, now drop all that HTML out the DOM. Now load all the next HTML into the DOM. And that's a page change in a single page application. It can store things like hooks and things because technically the navigation has not changed. But obviously when you click reload on a single page app, you know it completely chucks out the baby with a bathwater and starts from beginning. You know, it's got to rehydrate everything. Completely different experience. And that's what technically something like Slinkity is doing, isn't it? It's like every time you navigate a page, it's chucking out everything, starting from the beginning. And because it's only HTML that's rendering, it's super fast. Exactly, yeah. I almost regret not bringing up local storage in that example because if you have a cart, you would definitely use local storage in order to persist it because a reload would get rid of your cart, which no one wants. But I do recognize people really like Redux. They really like React Context and things like that. And they do have nicer APIs than just local storage itself, unless you have a great hook to do it, which a lot of people do. But there are a lot of ways to persist state beyond the single page app approach. I think the main appeal of single page apps is just the ability to do page transitions, which I honestly don't see enough of. I want the nav bar to stay the same and I want to do like a fade in or I have a tab bar along the bottom and I want to sort of paginate between those sort of sliding panes. And that's like the really big thing that if you're doing a server driven routing, you're not going to get that. Right now, Google. <laughs> I know Chrome's doing some crazy crap, but <laughs> and I'm very curious where you end up. Yeah, Chrome on the 17th did an article by Jake Archibald talking about how they can basically diff single page apps and only navigate the inside things. But that's all up in the air right now about how is it actually going to work? Can Chrome do it on any website or can it only do on say Next.js, where it knows everything about Next.js at this point. I think there's some super interesting things there about how the industry is going to go forward because at one point we thought PWAs were going to be everything and PWAs have never died, but they've never gone anywhere. In the next five years, what are we going to see? What do you think we're going to see? Obviously creating one of these tools for the next five years. I guess it's a leading question of what we would expect. I think we're going to see UI frameworks become a little more dispensable. You don't need to commit to React to build your entire site, which is the landscape we're in right now, where we've built the same tool three times over. You got SvelteKit, Nuxt, and Next. 
There's a lot of nuance in how they do things, and they are very different. And because they're tied to a framework, they can do some specialized stuff. But I think the direction Slinky and Astro are going in is like, in order to build a static site, you shouldn't have to choose your framework up front. You should be able to use whatever you want. All you need help with is some way to get data from a CMS and pipe that data into the layouts that you're creating. So that's the bare bones of what Slinky and Astro could provide. A nice API to go get some information from somewhere and statically render it. And then the choice to use React, Vue, Svelte, MDX, Solid, I think, is one of the new ones. There's a ton of approaches to writing HTML at this point. And I think we'll see the need to commit to a framework fade away and all encompassing tools become a little bit more common. That said, SvelteKit is really amazing out of those three. And I think that they've got something really interesting going on by just committing to Svelte. You say you can use anything with Slinkity. Can you use Pug and Handlebars? They're the true OGs or even CoffeeScripts. Eleven uses Pug and Handlebars, so we can too. The only problem is they don't support short codes if you want to insert React. We don't have a great solution at the moment, but we will. <laughs> so yes, it just won't work. So yes, but yeah, I'm a Pug fan myself. A Pug fan? Yeah, I like the syntax. I think it does a lot of stuff for you that even Nunjux maybe doesn't. But I know Nunjux and Liquid are kind of the norm. So that's what we've been testing for the most part. But I will say Slinkity does not support Vue and Svelte at the moment. But if any listeners want to contribute to a blossoming new open source project, please go look at our issue logs. We do have some Vue tasks and Svelte tasks lined up at the moment. Pug is that HTML language where, you know, it's that meme where it's that woman looks at it and goes, disgusting. And then they go, actually, (laughs) you know, I can see it. I mean, that's why it's called Pug. It's like, it's adorable. It's a love-hate relationship. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for being here. I've been very excited about Slinkity and have been diving into it as you've been building it. So one of the things that gets me excited about these projects is seeing how people kind of respond to like community members wanting to engage with it. And you've been very helpful and then helping me get spun up. And I found a couple of bugs in it, even with the first version, which was a lot of fun. We figured out how to get it deployed to Netlify. And that was awesome. Since we're closing out here, why don't you just let our listeners know, first off, where they should go to find information about Slinkity and then how they can get in contact with you. Slinkity.dev is where we have info about the project and a nice little quick start guide. It's really short and it should get you up and running, just starting from an empty directory even. So it's pretty flexible there. If you want to DM us and ask questions and maybe want a tour of the framework, DM us on Twitter. We have Slinkity.dev as a Twitter handle as well. And you can also contact me, bholmesdev, H-O-L-M-E-S like Sherlock Holmes. I'm that handle pretty much everywhere if you want to talk shop or tweet memes at me, please do. Awesome. Thanks so much. Awesome, y'all. Cue jazz. That was good. Awesome. That was good. <laughs>